Welcome to ASAP Recovery, the recovery program for those seeking cure over maintenance. Thank you for joining us today as we take a look at where addiction recovery and the Word of God meet. Hello, hello, and welcome to the ASAP Recovery Podcast, the podcast for people in recovery. Hey, I'm Pastor Chuck, and i uh, got a good show for you today. Uh, today's episode is Episode 8 and is called, Is Addiction a Disease or Sin? Is Your Addiction a Disease or a Sin? Uh, when it comes to addiction recovery, there is a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, for example, um, people in recovery are told that you're going to be in recovery the rest of your life, which basically means that we're forever walking in one direction but never reaching our destination. Whereas the Word of God says a completely different thing. It says, he who the sun sets free, or she who the sun sets free, is free indeed, and that we shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If you're forever in recovery, that means that your only hope is in death uh, when you die on the other side of eternity. But that's not what the Word of God says. Another piece of misinformation that we run into when uh, within the recovery community at large is the disease theory of addiction. Now, maybe you're familiar with this. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're listening to this for a loved one. Uh, just a brief recap on that would, would probably go a long way. Uh, the disease theory of addiction claims that some people are, are born with a disease uh, within the brain. Uh, not all people, some people is what the, the disease theory claims, or that it's a problem with your genetics or biology or this or that. Uh, and yet, if you were to take a 1,000 people, a 1,000 people, put them in a warehouse and give them opiates or heroin three times a day for 30 days, by the um, end of those 30 days, 100% of the population would be addicted to that. You know, uh, The same could be true of alcoholism. It just might take them a little bit longer to get there. Uh, and that kind of debunks this disease theory that some people, not all people, are born uh, with um, an addiction of that sort. And so, uh, anyways, this disease theory. It's, it's a big piece of misinformation within the recovery community. Uh, this disease theory masquerades itself as the disease fact. It's preached and teached as the disease fact in our hospitals, prisons, programs, churches, uh, recovery literature, recovery websites, AANA, uh, you name it, you know, and everywhere you go, you're going to be told, uh, you have a disease, you have a disease, and yet it's, it's never been proven. It's the disease theory of addiction, not the disease Fact. Now, some of you may be listening to this and saying, no, 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 that's been proven. I've, I've heard that's been proven. Actually, well, actually it hasn't. And so with that, um, there's this book I read called The Sober Truth, The Sober Truth by Lance Dodes or Dodds. I really got to figure out how to pronounce this last guy's name. It's not that I'm pronouncing it wrong. It's just Mr. Dodds, Dodes. Uh, that's how we pronounce it in the state of the great state of Kentucky. Amen, somebody. I can do this all day. I can do this all day, folks. Uh, the Sober Truth, Debunking the Bad Science Behind 12-Step Programs in the Rehab Industry. And uh, within this book, now, i, I got to pre- preface it this. There's a lot of stuff in this book that I like, that I agree with, um, That very good observations by this doctor, uh, the author here. Uh, but then there's some stuff I, I strongly disagree with, you know. But, uh, man, you can you can... Do like a spoiling of the Egyptians and take what works and, you know, sift through it, and then what doesn't, you you, you scrap there. Uh, I've got some different theories about our, our, our addictions and what they are and where they come from, uh, but the author is pretty, pretty anti-religious um, on that, you know, and so I, I disagree with that. It's, so, therefore, um, psychology is his cure, and I, ble- I agree that needs to happen. 
But, man, I also believe that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save me from myself. Amen, somebody. And so with that, within this, uh, but what I do agree with this book, uh, some, some of you may be saying, well, I, you know, the disease theory, it's been, it's been proven. It, it hasn't. I'm going to read you something here from the, uh, the Sober Truth. Uh, the author writes, closely related to the neurobiologist, he's talking about this disease theory, closely related to the neurobiologists are the genetics, who are often the sources for mass media reports announcing the good news that we have finally found the gene for alcoholism, people and he and he makes fun of them here. He's like, people seem to find this gene so often that one wonders how they manage to keep losing it. <laughs> but he digresses. Uh, but this should not be taken as evidence that there is a gene for alcoholism or addiction, or that addiction is somehow a genetic disorder. He's saying here, uh, the skinny of it is that they they've, they've not found this addiction gene. No one's ever found it. Um, <clears throat> with that, uh, he goes on to say, well, some of you may be saying, okay, well, you haven't found the gene, but what about susceptibility genes? The idea of susceptibility genes is that there there could be contributing factors that make some people more likely or more inclined towards alcoholism or addiction. So uh, the author goes on to talk about these susceptibility genes, and he says, and I quote, the problem comes down to confusion between causation and correlation once again. Statistically, it is likely that many genes, possibly hundreds or thousands of them, may play some role in increasing the susceptibility to addiction. But this has led some researchers to refer to susceptibility genes. But nobody, and let me repeat that, he says nobody has ever discovered any of these genes despite the fact that they have been repeatedly sleuthed by our most sophisticated chromosomal techniques. He goes on to conclude elsewhere, but no one in human history has ever walked into a bar because a gene told them to do so. Amen, somebody. Now, this is a secular book, but can I get an amen, somebody? So with that... Um, as I said, this disease theory of addiction, this misinformation that you have a disease, uh, it's a problem. There is a lot of side effects, a lot of repercussions. I mean, uh, in 1953, the American Medical Association classified our addictions as an illness. In 1953, the AMA classified addiction as an illness. Before that, they were classified as a moral issue, as a, as a, as a sin. They were something to be ashamed of, you know, and so among many, many other reasons, the American Medical Association thought that, hey, you know, the um, we can help these people remove the guilt and shame stigma and begin to seek out the help they so desperately need rather than having to meet in back alleys and doors and, and meetings and basements of churches and this and that to get the help they need, and so with that, though, uh, the, the, the problem with that is the Bible has a, a very different definition of what your diseases are, uh, and it's not an illness. Uh, in 1953, the AMA classified our addictions as an illness. In 1960, or maybe 1964, I got, I got, I should know this. Uh, a guy named E.M. Jelnick uh, wrote a book uh, or, or a paper called "The Disease Construct" or "The Disease Theory of Addiction." In that, he theorized that not only were our addictions not an illness, uh, but they were. He went a step further in saying that they're a disease. You know. And uh, it, it may surprise you to learn that E.M. Jelnick uh, and Bill W. were, were somewhat friends. Uh, in 1943, this Jelnick guy was doing an alcoholic study at Yale University, of which Bill W. was on the faculty, which kind of more or less made Bill W. this guy's superior in a lot of ways. And so in other words, uh, AA and, their, uh, and NA and their disease, illness, promoting deal, because they, they say AA and NA say, that it's not. AA says 
we believe it to be an illness. We have come to believe that it is not a moral issue. It's an illness. Uh, NA went a step farther, and it's because they were created after the disease theory. They said, or they, they, they got their form after the disease theory. They said that, and their, their literature was published after that. They said, we have, it's not a moral issue. It's a disease. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's funny that the guy that come up with this disease theory kind of reported to Bill W. at Yale University in 1943, and then 1960, he wrote a book called The Disease Theory. And so, and it, what's also funnier is that as time went by, this E.M. Jelnick, the father of the disease theory, he began to separate himself from the AA group and even from some of his own theories, not, not, not the disease theory, but he began to separate himself from his own theories, the theory of deterioration, and uh, so on and so forth. So anyways, long story short, AA and NA will say that you this is not a moral issue. Uh, you have a disease. You have an illness. But the Word of God says something very different. It says that our addictions are a sin. So that's why today's episode is called, Is Your Addiction a Sin or, or, or a Disease? Or Disease or Sin? And so with that, if you hear anything I say today, reader, um, hear me on this, that the disease theory, that some people are born uh, with with a disease and are more susceptible to alcohol and addiction. Uh, the disease theory of addiction and the Word of God cannot coexist. It can't happen. They cannot coexist. There cannot be peaceful coexistence, harmony between their theories and the claims of the Word of God. The Bible makes it very clear that you have a sin issue here. Let's 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 take a look at this. Uh, in Galatians five nineteen to twenty one, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul writes, "When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear." Now let me hit pause right there. Paul's saying we got a main category problem here, and then everything he's about to list here is a subcategory of said problem. And so he's saying that you, you got a problem here. It's it, and he's like when you follow the desires of your sinful nature. This is the culprit. This is the uh, the uh, enemy behind the veil, the unseen enemy, the sinful nature. We'll get into more what that is and and isn't uh, here in a minute. But he's saying you got a problem here, and it may surprise you to learn that your addiction ain't one of them. It's something the Bible calls your sinful nature. So now watch this. Galatians five nineteen to 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And he, he begins to list all these things, subcategories or branches of the sinful nature. Starts off with sexual immorality. Um, that's people living together outside of marriage, uh, homosexuality, pornography, uh, just things that uh, anything but uh, sexual relations between husband and wife. Uh, sexual relations, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, verse 21, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Notice it says other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me break this down here for you. Once again, we got this. The Bible says there's this. There's this thing. See, year after year, those of us in recovery, uh, we spend year after year trimming the branch of addiction. You know, trying to go to meetings, uh, trying to jump through these uh, probation uh, 
hoops, you know, uh, trying to reconcile relationships while trying to maintain our sobriety. We keep trimming the branch of addiction. Imagine, if you will, a tree, and we keep spending up uh, all these years and all these time, countless hours, countless years, uh, countless finances, resources, energy, trimming the branch of addiction. But the Bible says right here in this verse, you're, 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 you're doing it wrong. Uh, it says that addiction is just a branch of a larger problem that the Bible calls the sinful nature. Uh, for those of you viewing online through YouTube or Facebook, I got a picture here I want to show you. Uh, for those of you on uh, Google Podcast, Apple, uh, what have you, Amazon Music, uh, you might want to check this out on the uh, Facebook or, or YouTube channel uh, for ASAP Recovery. Uh, but what what this verse is saying here is, if you notice here in the picture, on the on, if you're looking at the picture on the branch to the right, we have drunkenness, um, addiction, wild parties, uh, and whatnot. Year after year. Those of us in recovery are trying to trim this branch when what the Bible says is we need to get out the chainsaw and go for the stump. Amen, somebody? Uh, we're spending all this time trimming this, this addiction, and, and we're, we're missing it completely. We need to go for the root. We need to go for the, uh, the stump of this deal. And so with that, um, that's what the Bible says. Now, l- let me pull this verse back up here, Galatians 5, 19, 21. When it says that when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear, and it lists all these things. And in verse 21, it says drunkenness. This drunkenness that it's talking about here, it isn't talking about, hey, man, uh, you know, I'm a good Christian. I go to church. Um, I, uh, I pay my tithes, my taxes. I don't beat my wife or, uh, you know, step out on my husband, you know, uh, what have you. Uh, when it talks about that, it's not talking about just, hey, I had a couple drinks uh, this weekend. I want to be really careful about saying that, that I'm not saying it's okay for you to go out and get drunk on the weekends and be and remain a good Christian. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying very clearly here is when the Bible says drunkenness in, in Galatians 5.21 here, it's talking about more than just, hey, I, I, I got drunk uh, one time like uh, Noah did after the flood. You know, uh, he, he messed up, but he, 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 he went into excess. But it's talking about like a repeated behavior. It's talking about drunkenness. See, Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding, and that was okay. Jesus can't sin. Uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said to Timothy, he's like, listen, when you're you're sick, take a little wine for your stomach. And so it does uh, denote the therapeutic uh, benefits of it at the time when they didn't have the um, medical advances that we have today. However, what this verse is talking about is drunkenness or being a drunk. It's drunkenness. It's a way of life. It's a lifestyle. And therefore, he's talking about addiction here. Not only is he talking about alcoholism here, but if you look down in the same verse, it says drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Therefore, um, narcotics, opiates, any other of activity-based addictions, other sins like these, pornography, food addictions, workaholism, other stuff like these. Uh, And let me tell you again that anyone doing this sort of thing is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And so we're we're talking more than just uh, a sip of wine here and there, you know, by by the Christian. He's talking about somebody that's made this their lifestyle here. And so with that, when we jump over to this tree here, the sinful nature tree, year after year, the attic is trying to trim this branch when what we need to be doing is getting out the chainsaw. Now, this verse says that the main problem, the main culprit, if you look in the picture here, is the sinful nature, and that all these other things are are the tree. So, see, here, we're just focusing on one branch, our addiction, but the Bible says that anyone doing any of these behaviors listed, um, dissension, envy, uh, anger, you know, all these different things, lustful pleasures, sexual immorality. These people ain't getting any either. We're in the same 
boat. And so not only do we need to deal with our own branch of addiction, but we also need to get out these other branches too. And therefore, we need to stop trimming the hedge, and we need to get out the chainsaw and get to work. Amen, somebody? And so with that, I've given you one verse here uh, uh, about that, but uh, there's more. Um, don't ever just take one verse out of the Bible and try to build your theology on it. Look at the testimony of all Scripture and see what it has to say about it. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, uh, it says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive, or cheat people. None of these people uh, will inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, The Bible makes it very clear that uh, those who do these sort of things ain't going to get in. Uh, Therefore, this is really going to upset some of you guys, Uh, but I'm going to say it anyways because your life may, uh, your eternity may be hanging in the balance. I've never been to a a funeral where the guy or girl sitting in the casket has went to hell. You know, if if you ever notice when you go to a funeral, you always hear things like, oh, well, they're looking down on us. They're looking down on us. But the Bible says he or she who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. And so, therefore, if you don't got Jesus, you ain't getting in. That's that's the, the, the primary requisite of getting into heaven. But, man, I've seen people that have lived like the devil and then their family there at the, at the church or the, the funeral parlor are saying, you know, oh, well, their loved one down or my loved one's looking down or I was talking, to, you know. No, the Bible says your loved one is not going to be looking down at you. They're going to be looking up is what the Bible says. It says anyone who lives this sort of life shall not inherit the kingdom. So either you're right or the word of God is right. And I bring this up because anytime I've been to a funeral where somebody's overdosed from an addiction, they're always talking about they're 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 looking they're looking down they're looking down they're looking down and uh, man you you don't know that uh, the Bible's saying quite the contrary. Now listen, I'm not saying hear me loud and clear on this. I know that's going to really ruffle some feathers. Um, I'm not saying that someone that's had a moment of weakness, uh, someone that's had a moment of weakness and relapses and overdoses or drinks himself to death because of their liver condition is going to hell. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that someone who's doing that and has passed the invisible line of contentment in their addiction, in their relapse, they certainly are is what the Bible says. Let's let's jump back here to Galatians 5.19. It says, uh, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and the like. Let me tell you again, as I said before, anyone living that sort of life, there's an invisible line there of contentment. It's not that I've relapsed, I've overdosed. Man, I I, I got to believe that people like that still got a shot of making it, uh, that, that Jesus is able to keep what we have committed to him until that day. However, uh, but if, if you've crossed the invisible line of contentment, hey, I'm back, this is the way it is, you know, uh, you know, might as well stay in this run rather than making use of the available resources. Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom. Uh, furthermore, furthermore, it says any of these sins and the like uh, what is uh, addiction? But, you know, we, we can tell ourselves it's a disease, it's an illness, but there's that still small voice inside of you that says you're doing something wrong, that you are out of bounds, that you are not in a right-standing relationship with God. When you drink, when you use, the guilt comes. I don't see that happen with people with chemo, uh, with cancer, or people with uh, Parkinson's or heart disease. I don't see them carrying around the guilt and shame for their condition that we have. Could it be that addiction is not a disease? And the Bible says, now, if it, regardless, uh, what, um, regardless of what um, the AMA says, 
uh, regardless of what we can theorize addiction is or is not. Uh, with that, the Bible makes it very clear that addiction is a disease. We've just seen it in Galatians 5.19. We've seen it in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 11. Is the Bible says it's a sin issue. It's a sin issue from the sinful nature. It's not a disease. It's not an illness. And either the AMA and AA and NA is right or the Word of God is right. But let's go look at one more scripture here in James 4.17. Now watch this. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, it says, Therefore, to him or her who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. Uh, that's the New King James Version. The NIV says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do, like not drinking or not using, and doesn't do it, it's a sin. Plain and simple, if you're doing something you know you shouldn't be doing, if you're doing something, if you're going against the conscious, if you're going against the heart, if you're going against the mind, when your heart convicts you of it, then it's a sin. The Bible says that goes in the sin box. And I, I like the NLT version here. Uh, it just it, it couldn't be any clearer. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. <laughs> Amen, somebody. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. In other words, the mere fact that you have guilt, shame, when you wake up the next morning, you're in recovery, you've relapsed, you've cheated, you've done whatever, uh, the mere fact that that guilt is there, and then and then you go again a week later, a month later, whatever, you knew it was wrong, you were convicted, and, and, and it says very clearly, remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. You know you can't be drinking. There's something God planted inside of you that says this is wrong. But the AMA and this disease theory, they're trying to remove that guilt and they're trying to remove that shame. And I think where they messed up is assuming that guilt and shame are always a bad thing. Sometimes it is, but not always. Man, God put that there, a reason to let you know your life is out of order and your eternity is hanging in the balance. So, once again, let me reiterate the most important thing you need to understand here today. This disease theory, this disease theory of addiction, which has never been proven, uh, and the Word of God cannot coexist. The Bible says the you getting this right is not only a matter of life and death, but a matter of heaven and hell. It says drunkards are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, and therefore, if it's saying that, hey, listen, um, you can't, uh, these people ain't getting into heaven. This disease theory, let's just say, let's, let's, let's play devil's advocate here. Let's just say you were born with a disease. Let's say that there is an addiction gene. That would make God responsible for your addictions. Basically, he would be saying, hey, listen, I made you this way. I gave you the addiction gene when I knit you together in your mother's womb. But because of the way I've made you, you can't inherit the kingdom this way. Does that sound like God to you? Because it sure doesn't to me. Not the God I know who, who gave his only son to die in your place to guarantee to safeguard your spot in heaven for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For him to make an addiction gene where a certain percentage of the population got no chance of getting into heaven, uh, man, that's, that's, that's not God. That just doesn't line up with the facts. Furthermore, let's, let, let's look at the facts. Um, this disease theory, this disease theory of addiction, it's never been proven. In order for any theory to pass from theory to fact or theory to even law one day, it's got to pass through something called the scientific method, if you will. Now, there's a lots of nuts and bolts to this scientific method, but the two non-negotiables of it is in order for a theory to pass from theory to fact, it has to be, number one, observable, and number two, repeatable. What I mean by that is I have a theory, you know, that the sun's going to come up tomorrow, right? And in order for that theory to pass to fact, I've got to observe it, right? I've got to be able to see the sun. I've got to be able to witness the sun. 
uh, on a day-in, day-out basis. But then also it's got to be repeatable, thus the day-in, day-out basis. And so uh, with that, this disease theory, the problem with the disease theory is no one's ever found the addiction g- gene. Uh, the author of uh, The Sober Truth there says, you know, a lot of people will pop up and say we found it, but then you'll hear a, a quiet re- recampment of that later in a, in a scientific journal or whatever. But it just keeps popping up. We found it. We found it. But then they never, you know, they're real quick to sound the horn when they found it, but real quiet and uh, slip out the back door when they realize, oh, our science was bad, you know. And so with that, uh, you know, are genes observable? That's a whole other deal right there. But with that, uh, the scientific method, since we can't find the genes, number one, it's not observable. And number two, uh, it's not repeatable. It's automatically, not, if it's not observable, it's definitely not repeatable. Therefore, this theory is still the disease theory after since, uh, let's see, 40, 60 years. After 60 years, it was in the 1960s. We got 40 years, 20 then. It's still, it's still just a theory, just a theory. Also, um, addiction is not like other diseases. For example, I've never had someone with cancer uh, have too much chemo and then uh, try to make a move on my wife. Amen, somebody? Or I've never had someone with diabetes get low on their sugar and try to fight me. Or I've never known of someone with Parkinson's who's woken up in jail the next day because of their disease. Uh, Because addiction is not like other diseases. There's more differences than there are similarities. Now, listen, I'm not going to try to debate these doctors and and this and that, man. Uh, It's it's they're in a whole different arena than me. Uh, science is my worst subject, but there's some things I know, and uh, truth is one of them. And so with that, um, addiction treatment isn't anything like other um, diseases. For example, uh, who in their right mind would take advice from a junkie? Amen. None, nonetheless, medical advice from a junkie. Guys, I'm sorry to my brothers and sisters that, that with narcotics addictions. Uh, but likewise, who would take who would take life or medical advice from from an alcoholic? No one. Only an insane person would do it. And yet that's exactly what we're doing when we go to a meeting. If you go to a meeting on day 1, you're going to be told you got a disease. And we're going to say, "Oh, okay, we're going to parrot that back. I have a disease." And we're going to walk out of these meetings. And what you've just done is you've taken life advice, medical advice from a, a fellow addict or alcoholic. Uh, man, if I got cancer, I don't know about you, but if I got cancer, I'm going to go see a doctor for that diagnosis. I'm not going to see somebody in a meeting in a room and take advice from a person I just met that I don't know anything about other than the fact that they've made a complete wreck of their life. You know, if I've got if I've got cancer, I'm going to take that a lot more serious than someone saying I got the disease, supposed theoretical disease of addiction. Uh, I'm going to go see a specialist to see uh, what my options are. I'm going to get the best uh, treatment option uh, I can afford for my family to beat this cancer. You know, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to get a second opinion. Likewise, when it comes to the disease of addiction, man, uh, you can be diagnosed without getting a single test run um, or a drop of blood drawn. Uh, That's not the way other diseases um, are are diagnosed. Diseases are diagnosed after after observation, after um, after treatment, after diagnosis. Uh, Then you are, are diagnosed with the disease of whatever it may be, but not with alcoholics. Man, we should expect more from our uh, our doctors. You know, if if we, you know, but our group ain't even going to see them anyways. Um, and our our healthcare providers, we should expect more from that. Um, there's there's a lot more. I guess what I'm just trying to say, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse here. Is there's a lot more differences between addiction and um, and disease uh, than there are similarities. Um, one other thing I'd like to touch on before closing out here is. Uh, I have found in my life that whenever a um, something 
comes off the shelf, you got to put something back on it. Or whenever there's a hole in my life, something will inevitably come along and try to fill it before God has the chance to do so. And so with that, I believe when it comes to this disease theory, uh, the AMA tried to remove the guilt and shame stigma attached to this theory. Uh, but I believe that something more fatal has come along and tried to, or successfully, not tried to, successfully filled it. And I believe that there are two side effects for adhering to this disease theory, two life-threatening fatal side effects that have replaced the guilt and shame and uh, that is, uh, let, me, let me show you what I got here. I've got these two side effects of the disease theory. I believe that there are the two major side effects of the disease theory is, number one, it creates a victim mentality, and then number two, it creates a disease mentality. And i got a chart here for those of you watching online. I'm going to break that down in a second, but I want to explain this first. A victim mentality uh, keeps you stuck where you are in life. It keeps you right there. By saying you have a disease, um, there's there's two statements in this world that's like nails on a chalkboard to me. The first one is, well, I just didn't get fed in that church or this and that. Man, if you're someplace where the word of God is being proclaimed, where the scriptures are being expounded on, and you're not getting fed in a church, then let me tell you what I tell everyone I hear say that. Uh, the problem is not with your mouth. The problem's with your ears. Amen, somebody? Uh, but with that, I, I digress. But this... Um, the second, the second statement that really, really just like nails on a chalkboard to me is, I can't help it, I have a disease. See, by giving the addict alcoholic this disease theory and presenting it as a disease fact, you've just given them something more fatal than any drink, drug or pl on the planet, and that is you've given them an excuse to justify their continued behavior. By saying, I have a disease, what you're saying is, it's not my fault. In other words, all the shame, all the guilt, all the lying, the cheating, the stealing, the manipulating, the sleeping around, the whatever you've done, the uh, gossiping, the talking about people behind their back, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I, I hit somebody in a DUI, and DUI number three, and put them in the hospital. But this disease theory, it says, it gives you the excuse that, well, it's not your fault. You have a disease, you know. Would you, uh, would you guilt somebody uh, for... Um, for cancer, if they passed out behind the wheel, you know, because they, they were uh, off on their chemo treatments? No, you know, it's, it's, it's a disease. And so by doing that, by saying I have a disease, I'm saying it's not my fault. And so this statement is like nails on a chalkboard to me. I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to somebody, trying to minister to somebody, help them out of their pit, and they say, I've got to get some help fighting this disease. And yet it's never been proven. It's just a, just a theory, just a theory that has not been proven after 60-plus years. Uh, and so with that... Um, I find it funny that AA and NA are champions of this disease theory, you know, and uh, AA's book, they tell you that you got an illness, you know, it's not a moral issue, we have come to believe it an illness, and NA, they say it's not a moral issue, it's a disease, you have a disease, you know, but with that, that kind of hamstrings your whole program, if you will, for example, step one, we admitted that we were powerless over our addictions and our lives have become unmanageable, uh, what am I admitting to with the disease theory, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I've just removed all that admitting, none of that was my fault, I can't help it. I have a disease. So you've hamstrung your entire program with this disease theory, and yet they champion it. Oh, you got a disease. You got a disease. You got a disease. And so with that, I find that this disease theory creates two side effects. Number one, a victim mentality. Number two, a disease mentality. The Word of God says, where's this verse at? Uh, I know I got it here somewhere. In Proverbs, there it is, right there. In Proverbs 23, 7, the Bible says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Or it could be said, for as she thinketh in his heart, or her heart, so so is she. Uh, basically, this verse is saying, you are what you eat. 
you know, uh, light in equals light out, garbage in equals garbage out. And if I believe that I have a disease, that creates within me a victim mentality. And if I believe that I'm a victim, that uh, that I'm not the villain in the story, as everyone else seems to think because of my addictions, that I'm the victim here, I can't help it, I have a disease, then, uh, then if I think that in my heart, then I'm going to live the lifestyle of it. I'm going to become a victim, and a victim lifestyle is what's going to follow. Now, a victim lifestyle will keep you stuck where you are in your recovery. You're never going to progress. But even worse than a victim lifestyle is a disease. Uh, mentality, victim mentality and a disease mentality. Uh, a disease mentality keeps you running in circles to what you eventually smack dab back into the arms of the addiction where it's been waiting for you. Uh, let me show you this. I've made this chart and it's in my book. So you're getting a sneak peek here without having to buy the book, but you should buy the book. It should be coming out by the end of this year, ASAP Recovery, tearing out the old foundation. Uh, where we're going to talk about a lot of stuff like this and the other stuff that we've been talking about on the podcast. But I made this chart in the book. Um, and for those of you watching, uh, if you're listening on uh, – Apple Podcast or Google or Amazon or Spotify or Anchor FM, you might want to log into our uh, ASAP Recovery YouTube channel or Facebook to see this chart. This is really good. Um, this disease theory, they remove the guilt and shame, but it creates a victim mentality. Now, this victim mentality causes relapse and death because if you'll remember, I can't help it. I have a disease. Therefore, I might as well go ahead and indulge. But this disease theory, there's a lot more trickle-down effects of this if you're looking at the picture. The disease mentality causes three symptoms. There, you know, when, when someone has a disease, you usually want to look for observable signs. If I got the cold or the flu, I'm going to have a fever, runny nose, cough, headache, and the doctor's going to say, hey, by your symptoms here, you have, uh, you have the flu. But if you got this disease mentality, there's a couple symptoms to look for. Number one, uh, seeing a doctor for help instead of God. Number two, attempting to do treatment alone. And number three, medication use and abuse. Symptom one, let's look at that. If addiction is an illness, as the AMA says it is, if addiction is a disease, as they're now saying it is, as the uh, AA and NA said it is, what you've done is you've just unintentionally removed God from your treatment option. Because if you'll notice, if I've got an illness, I go to a doctor for an illness. Amen? But if I've got a sin... I go to God. If I'm trying to remove an illness, I see a doctor. But if I'm trying to remove a sin, I go to God for that. Why would I go to, to a doctor to remove sin any more than I would go to God to remove um, an illness? Although God does heal all your, your illnesses and disease, so you should pray about it first, see if he wants to do something there. But um, with that, uh, this disease theory, the first symptom of the disease mentality is you have just unintentionally removed God from the recovery equation. Consequently, a God of our own understanding is what has crept in, uh, a, a non-confrontational God, a God. And, and this God of our own understanding, this disease theory, if you'll notice the two pieces of the broken puzzle here fit so nicely together. Any old God will do. Even a doorknob will do. And so you've unintentionally removed God from the equation, but not only that, from your recovery programs. Now the key to AA and NA's success isn't in the God of their own understanding. It's in the program itself. If you notice, you're told that even a doorknob can be your own higher power, you know, in this program, or you don't even have to believe in God. But at the end of each meeting, we join hands and we, we chant, keep coming back. It works if you work it. And therefore, the, the key or the secret to our success or our power lies in keep coming back to the program and there are 12 steps, and God has been removed from the equation. So we see it, we unintentionally, this disease theory unintentionally causes us to see a doctor for help instead of God. Symptom number two, attempting to do treatment alone. If you'll notice, when someone's in the hospital, uh, we stay in that hospital until we're better or until our um, symptoms uh, become somewhat manageable to where we can manage them from home. 
Likewise, when we adhere to this disease theory, people will go into rehab, they'll go into treatment, and then after a few weeks or a month or so, they'll start to put on weight, rebuild broken um, uh, relationships, whatnot, you know, start uh, having some growth. I mean, there's going to be some growth when you sober up, uh, maybe not the kind of growth you need to sustain you when you need it. But what we do is we start looking in the mirror and noticing that our symptoms aren't showing, and we're like, you know what, I got just enough recovery or God in my life, I'm going to go home from here. And so we leave we leave these programs early before uh, we find our cure, before we find our healing to where our symptoms are somewhat manageable from home. And then usually relapse follows within two weeks to two months. You can set your watch by it. So we leave these programs early thinking we're better. And so we attempt to do our treatment alone. But uh, AA and NA has always been, always been a two-man job. Recovery is and will always be a two-man or two-woman job, but we try to do our treatment alone just like other diseases. If you notice, people with cancer don't do recovery in groups. People with Parkinson's, heart disease, uh, what have you, uh, they don't do treatment in groups. They don't go to meetings, and therefore, if addiction is a disease like other diseases, we think that we can do our treatment alone just like they can do their disease of treatment alone, and it doesn't work like that. Ultimately, relapse, death, institutions, what follows. Symptom number three, uh, medication use and abuse in our recovery. Now, wait a second, Pastor. What do you mean medication use or abuse in our recovery? Uh, what I mean by that is I have found two ways that we manage to seamlessly carry over our medication use and abuse into our recovery, and that is through moderation attempts or addiction swapping. Uh, we'll try to moderate our drinking. I'm going to hop off of this chart here and go back to video. Um, we will, one, try to moderate our drinking. Uh, some of us will, um, in our recovery attempts, will switch to beer and never liquor or drinking only on the weekends or, uh, you know, uh, sniffing uh you know, drugs instead of shooting them. Uh, we'll try all these different things. Oxy Thursdays. I had a friend that had that. We had Thirsty Thursdays and, and drinking, you know. And so we'll try all these moderation uh, um, attempts, you know, trying to moderate our, our use. And uh, the bottom line is no one in the history of addiction has ever mastered moderation attempts. It cannot be done. With the exception of the workaholic and the food addict who must either work or eat in order to live, moderation cannot be done by the narcotic and substance abuse addictions. It cannot cannot be done. But yet uh, we keep trying year after year. We keep trying this, this and that, a, a drink here or a whatever there, and it just it, it doesn't work. And so in that, our... our, our um, medication, self-medicating attempts, what is drinking and drug use but a form of self-medication, we will self-medicate in our recovery. Also, the addiction swapping, that's another way that our, our uh, medication use and abuse carry over into our recovery. Uh, I can't tell you how many guys I've, I've seen who are drinking and will switch to marijuana maintenance or how many people and uh, it, with heroin will switch to drinking alcohol. Uh, man, it's just a matter of time. Anything that inebriates your perception to it, reality leaves you vulnerable to relapse. And in addition, I'll have these people say, well, I'm, and then another one is Suboxone and um, Suboxone and the Methadone Clinic. That's not being clean. You know, I'll have people tell me, like, well, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. I'm like, are you going to a Suboxone clinic? And they're, are you taking Suboxone or the Methadone? They're like, yeah. I'm like, well, not only are you not clean, you're not even clear-headed, buddy, because you can't use a narcotic in order to get off of an other narcotic. That's not being clean. All you've done, friend, is swap your street dealer for a government one, for a medical assistant one, you know, where they can tax you for it. And so with that, man, that's that's an addiction swapping, and it doesn't work, man. The the only way to do it is the time-tested cold turkey approach, uh, AA, NA, neither of which approve uh, – 
moderation attempts, addiction swapping attempts uh, in their literature. But yet, if you go to their meeting uh, and you're going to the methadone clinic, that's perfectly fine. All that's required is a desire to uh, quit using. So you got this whole whole hypocrisy there in that. But with that, man, there's a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of dominoes that are trickled down from this disease theory that masquerades itself and presents itself as fact in our in our schools, our uh, institutions, our uh, hospitals, our prisons, our programs, our recovery meetings. Uh, and so they've got this theory. And I don't know about you, but I've presented you some factual information here. Um, and from what I've seen, I just I, I don't see where the theory holds water. Now, when it comes to theories, if a theory is can't be observed, if it can't be repeated, it's usually scrapped or abandoned for a theory that does hold more water. And so today I've presented you with another theory that the Bible says that your addiction is a a sin. If you remember, let's just close out with this. Um, Galatians 5.19 says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, and it goes to list all these things. And in verse 21, it says, envy, drunkenness, um, wild parties, and other sins like these. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, we see, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not get into heaven? You can't be an alcoholic. You can't be in an active addiction, be content to stay there, die, and go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. It says, don't fool yourselves. Uh, and that's exactly what we're doing with this disease theory, man. We're fooling ourselves. We, we've bitten into the lie, into the deception that none of this is your fault. You have a disease. You can't help it. It's going to be all right, man. They, these, these institutions, these programs, uh, they want you to be dependent on them. They want you to say, oh, it's an illness, everything's okay, let's just continue this on, this and that. But the Bible says, no, you have sin in your life, and you are going to burn. I'm sorry, but that's what it says. It says, man, this is a sin, this is a no-budge issue, uh, and, and whether this thing is a theory or a fact, you getting this right is a matter of life and death, friend. The Bible says that addiction is a sin, it's not a disease, it's not an illness, you weren't born that way. Uh, to him who knows to do good or her who knows to do good and does not, it's sin. The mere fact that you're convicted of it should tell you that, man, your relationship with God is out of bounds. Um, friends, that's really all I got for today. Uh, I guess if you take anything away, um, the disease theory and the Word of God cannot coexist. Either the American Medical Association is right, AA and NA are right, or God and the Word of God is right. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but I'm going to side with the Word of God every time. It's never failed me. It's never let me down. Uh, it's never disappointed me. Sometimes it's asked a lot from me, but the payoff far outweighs any price that I've had to pay or uh, occur or self-sacrifice. AA and NA would do well to go back to the admit portion of their um, their recovery. Um, and by this disease theory, you've just removed the whole admit portion from the equation. At one time, AA would have you admit that there was a problem and you were that problem. And uh, we need to get back to that, man. Uh, no one forced you to drink. You know, maybe you had some bad parents. Maybe you were beaten. Maybe you were molested. Maybe you were taken advantage of. Uh, listen, no one in life is accountable for the hand they were dealt when they were born or whatever. Their parents, you can't choose your parents or the city you were born in. No one's accountable for that. However, everyone is accountable for how they chose to play it. The Bible says, he who comes to me or she who comes to me, I will by no means 
cast out. And Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The Bible says, even if your addiction was a disease, Jesus could heal it. It says, who, who, who cures all your sicknesses, illnesses, and diseases? The Bible says that Jesus went around from town to town, healing the sick of all diseases and casting out demons. And it says elsewhere that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, if Jesus was healing diseases then, he can still do it today. So even if your addiction was a disease, which the Bible says it's not, Jesus could heal it. So we're without excuse. And so how you choose to play that hand is entirely up to you. Listen, friends, I see the benefits. I'd have to be blind to see the to, to not see the benefits of this disease theory, man, to help the new guy or girl out get the ball rolling on their recovery when they so desperately need it the most. However, I'm here to tell you that the, the product or the end game or the price, um, the overall price of this addiction, this disease theory, is not worth the price of admission, friends. Uh, I can't tell you how many people how many people or how many funerals I've been at where the individual believed that they had a disease and none of this was their fault, where I've seen kids leaning over the casket crying over their, their father and their mother and this and that because they removed the admit portion of it. The Bible says that you are a sinner, that I'm a sinner. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages or penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And not just eternal life in the life to come like this forever recovering is going to tell you that our hope is in, in the afterlife. But right here in the in the land of the living, the Bible says, Paul's, or not Paul, David said, I am convinced of this, that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So today you're left with a choice. Um, the Bible says you got to sin, you're responsible, and if you continue in that uh, the wages of it is death. Uh, but the, the, the world say, it's okay, it's not that big a deal, man, and so you're going to be in recovery the rest of your life, and we're going to hold your hand with this. But, man, the uh, scientific or factual evidence, you know, uh, people will say, well, you, you can't prove that addiction isn't a disease. Thank you for proving my point. Neither can you. Uh, some of you are saying that, uh, well, I haven't seen any biological evidence. Uh, again, thank you for proving my point because it's not there. They have theory not fact. And so with that, man, I don't know about you, but I'm going to build my house on the rock. I'm going to build my house on the foundation uh, of God and his word. It's the only foundation that will never crack or crumble. Jesus said, he who hears these words of mine in the Bible will be like a wise man or woman who built their house on a rock and the rains descended and the floods came and uh, it weathered. But uh, he who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them uh, is like a foolish person who built their house on the sand and the rain sent it and the floods came and, and, and great was its fall. And so, man, when uh, temptation comes knocking, what am I going to do? Call on my disease theory to save me? You know, a, a theory can't save you. Only the person of Jesus Christ can do that. So, hey, in closing, um, the Bible says your addiction is a sin and those who are content to remain in that when the available healing hands of Jesus Christ and all the other available resources out there are refused, that those who die in that are, are going to spend eternity estranged from him. But uh, the AA says, uh, you got a disease, it's just a theory. It hasn't been proven after 60 years, so what are you going to choose? Uh, the Word of God says it's a sin. I'm going to side with that. Hey, I'd like to um, thank you for joining us today, ask you to uh, continue to join us in prayer. Uh, as the uh, the book is being edited and published by Christian Faith Publishing, uh, ASAP Recovery. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in that book. Exactly. we got a whole big section on the stuff we've talked about today. I've kind of given you an overview on your addiction being a sin uh, versus a disease. Um, but with that, uh, there's people that need to hear this stuff. People are dying. They need to know about Jesus, the only uh, foundation. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ. 
Jesus, and that's what we talk about in that book. Uh, but would you be praying for the people who are going to be reading that uh, and just start tugging on their hearts now? Uh, if you're listening to us or, or, or new to the channel, uh, please know that uh, you can hear the ASAP Recovery Podcast on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Anchor FM, Spotify, and Amazon Music, uh, or you can check us out at asaprecovery.com. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff there, uh, such as this podcast. Uh, we got recovery sermons. A uh, couple sections from the book, The Four Steps of ASAP Recovery, which is, I believe, what we're going to start uh, the next next uh, five weeks, four weeks, will be on the four steps. We're going to finally get into the four steps and put them under the microscope. We would love for you to join us. Uh, and uh, just thanks for joining us today. You stay blessed. Thanks for joining us today. Until we meet again, remember, you can be recovered.